statistically speaking, 75% uh, of New Year's resolutions made have already failed. So if you're still keeping yours, good work. Keep up the good work. Uh, you guys, uh, I like nicknames. Uh, I like how incredibly arbitrary nicknames can be. I especially love nicknames that you get because you did something stupid. Like, you can make one mistake, and if somebody gives you a nickname about that mistake, you're going to have that nickname for the rest of your life. Uh, like my good friend, Steph Manili. She... She's got a nickname like that, you guys. Uh, you may not know this because Steph is such a wonderful person and she works, uh, she helps so many people. That her, she's given her life to being uh, a servant of others. And, but you may not know this, uh, that she is not afraid to throw hands if she needs to. <laughs> I mean, she's not afraid to start swinging, you guys, if she's got to. Uh, and so some people like to call her Scrapper. And by some people, I mean me. I like to call Steph Scrapper, and she hates it. But it's not her fault, right? Like, she's just like Fresh Prince, right? She got one little fight, and her mom got scared, and now she's, now she's Scrapper, right, for the rest of her life. You can get nicknames for the dumbest thing. Uh, back at, uh, when I worked at the fire hall, one of the guys, he went uh, and got his teeth whitened, and he came back the next day, and it was like, whoa, teeth. And so we called him Smiles. For 12 years, we called this guy Smiles over white teeth. Uh, and there was another guy at the fire hall that we had, his nickname was Uncle Daddy. I'm not going to get into why we called him that, but it suited him, you guys. It was perfect. I got a nickname, a nickname like that too at the fire hall. Uh, it was my first day uh, on the job. I was 19 years old, and I was walking up to the fire hall for my very first shift, and I was wearing my bomber jacket, my uniform, and my bag. I thought I was so cool. Like I have made it, you guys. And I'm walking up to the fire hall, and on the other side of the window in the kitchen, my new crew is watching me walk up to the fire hall. And one of the nurses in the, in the kitchen said, well, now who's this little skipper? And I became, on day one, little skipper. And they called me that forever. We would be, I would be treating patients, like, like life scary moments for patients, and they'd call me Little Skipper in front of the patient. They'd call me Little Skipper on the radio. It was the worst nickname ever. For the next 12 years, I was Little Skipper out there. It doesn't take much for a nickname to stick. It doesn't take much for you to get labeled and for that label to come to define you. Now, you and I, we do this often, many of us, with our biggest mistakes. We end up determining how we feel about ourselves, the way we talk about ourselves, the way we think about ourselves. We let the worst decisions, the worst mistakes we've ever made, label us. And it could be something that we did 20 years ago, a mistake that we made 20 years ago. And yet, still today, 20 years later, when you think about it, you cringe and you feel uncomfortable. And, and it still has, has this hold on you. And it's part of your story that you tell about yourself. It's a label that you carry. And the label's not nice. It's a label like maybe it's the label failure or cheater or liar or screw up or coward. And we let our worst days define how we feel about ourselves. But it doesn't have to be this way. You are not just the sum of your worst decisions and your worst days. That doesn't have to be your story. 
Because Jesus is in the business of redeeming stories, of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances. And Jesus wants to help you rewrite your story. And today I want to talk about a guy who discovered this truth firsthand. His name was Peter, and Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Uh, He would become one of Jesus' closest friends. Peter would go on to be one of the most important leaders in the early first century church. And Peter wrote two of the books in our Bibles, and he was probably the one who gave Mark, the Gospel of Mark. He probably gave Mark all of the firsthand knowledge of Jesus that Mark writes about. But Peter's rise to become the great first leader of the first century church didn't come easily. His story needed a few rewrites along the way. Now, Luke describes uh, the moment that Peter met Jesus for the very first time. And Peter's in his boat. He's cleaning up his nets. He's a, a, a fisherman. And, and he's cleaning up his nets. And it wasn't a very good night shift, right? They used to fish at night overnight. And it wasn't a very good night shift because Peter and the guys, they didn't catch any fish. And if you're a fisherman, you know, like, that stings when you don't catch something. And as Peter is cleaning up, Jesus is preaching on the shore just off to the side. And Jesus is kind of unknown at this time, right? He's just at the very beginning stages of his ministry, and he's preaching on the shore, and a crowd begins to gather. And the crowd gets too big, and so Jesus calls out to Peter in the boat, and he asks if I can, he says, Peter, can I stand in your boat and preach to this crowd so I can, everyone can hear me? And, And Peter agrees. And eventually Jesus, after he finishes preaching, he looks over at Peter and they're in this boat on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he says, Peter, why don't you throw your nets over the the side of the boat and see if you can't catch some fish? Now, Peter is a fisherman. He's a career fisherman. It's his profession. It's how he feeds his family. He knows what he's doing. And on top of that, he just worked a whole night shift. He is exhausted, and he didn't catch anything. So he's, he just wants to go home and go to bed and go to sleep. But out of respect for this rabbi, he says this, Master, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And so Peter throws the nets into the water, and you could probably... Guess what happens next, right? The water begins to churn, and the boat gets pulled to the side, and these nets begin to fill with fish. So many fish that it says Peter's boat began to sink. The nets were too heavy, and he had to call over his friends to help with the catch. Now, Peter has never seen a miracle quite like this one before. He knew what was happening in front of him should be impossible. And when the chaos of the moment passed, overcome with awe of Jesus and what just happened, and knowing he's in the presence of somebody holy, Peter falls to his knees before Jesus and says this, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. It's right here where we discover the label that Peter has put on himself. I'm a sinner. I'm not a good man. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good father. I'm not good enough. This is the story that Peter was writing about himself. And throughout the Gospels, the accounts of the life of Jesus, that's what the Gospels are, Peter would struggle again and again with this story. 
of determining his self-worth, his self-image, how he thought of himself by the worst parts of his life. That day on the Sea of Galilee after the fish miracle, Peter became one of the first of Jesus' 12 disciples. And for the next few years of his life, he followed Jesus all around the countryside, serving him and learning from him. And in that time, he became one of Jesus' closest friends and allies. As that time went on, it got to the day when Peter would make his greatest mistake. A mistake that had the potential to define him as a failure for all of his days. It's the last night when Jesus is together with his disciples, and they don't know it, but this is going to be the last time they ever spend time with Jesus around the table. And Jesus has gathered his, his, his followers together for something called the Passover meal. And for the Jews, the Passover meal uh, was an annual celebration of an ancient event. And thousands and thousands of years ago, the people of God were slaves in Egypt. A whole group, a whole nation of people were slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh kept them as slaves to build his cities. And God used a man named Moses to advocate on behalf of his people, trying to convince Pharaoh to let these people go. But over and over again, Pharaoh refused to let them go. Uh, It came to the last straw. And Moses said, Pharaoh, all this stuff has happened. God wants my people to be free. And I'm sorry, but tonight, all of the firstborn uh, males in all of the land are going to die. An angel of death is going to pass over Egypt and all the firstborn males are going to die unless you let God's people go. Pharaoh didn't believe him. And so Moses went back to his people and he gave them these instructions. Tonight, slaughter a goat and share a meal together with your family and anybody else you know who doesn't have food to eat tonight, invite them in and take the blood of that slain animal and put it on the doors of your home. And that night, the angel of death passed over Egypt. And cries were heard throughout the land as the firstborn of all the families passed away. But the angel of death passed over every house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorway. Passed over. The next day, Pharaoh relented and the people of God were set. And this is the meal, the Passover meal that Jesus has invited the disciples to share with them. It commemorates a specific event. And so Jesus sits with his disciple at this Passover meal, but Jesus is about to rewrite the story of Passover. In Luke 22, we read, Jesus, or he, took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus is telling them, you no longer need to look back thousands and thousands of years to remember the mercy of God at Passover. The mercy of God stands before you. It is me. Remember me. Think of me. Jesus is rewriting the story of Passover. I am the Passover lamb who has come to take away the sins of the whole world. Now, today we call this event communion. 
It's something that the church has done since this very first communion that Jesus had with disciples. And we gather together, and you can see it up here, and we share food and drink, and we remember Jesus, and we receive his mercy and his grace, fresh and new at the communion table. But that night as they shared their last meal together, the tone shifted in the evening, and Jesus began to warn them about what was coming next. And Jesus warned them, his closest friends, these men he has spent a significant part of his life with, he warned them that that night, They would all desert him and abandon him. And Peter, our guy, he hears this and immediately he says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Not me, Jesus. I'm here to the end. I'll die for you. I'm not going anywhere. Not me. And then Jesus looks at Peter, his friend. He says, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. I'm sure Peter was very offended when Jesus said this to him. And late that night, Judas returned with an armed guard. Jesus was betrayed with a kiss. He was taken into custody, and just as he predicted hours before, the disciples, including Peter, fled and ran for their lives. I'm going to read what happens next in Luke uh, chapter 22. Verse 15. Oh, that's wrong. I went to the wrong spot, you guys. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 54. So they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. He was afraid for his life, right? It was dangerous to be a Jesus follower. And the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it, and he said, woman, I don't even know him. And after a while, someone else looked at him, and he said, you must be one of them. And no, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. And about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them, because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. In only a few hours, Peter went from, I'll die for you, to I don't even know the man. Years of friendship down the drain. Years of ministry. Altered in a single moment. It all came crashing down. Peter wept bitterly because he betrayed his friend in his hour of need. He wept bitterly because he was filled with shame. The story he had always told about himself that he was not a good man was confirmed by his actions. Now, after Jesus was arrested, things began to move really quickly. He was tried and convicted on bogus charges. He was executed on a cross. He breathed his last breaths, and he died. And eventually, some brave men and women asked if they could take Jesus' body off the cross and bury him in a tomb, and they did that. Now, for uh, the thing that happened next is maybe the most important event in all of human history. Jesus didn't sit in that tomb, right? 
the resurrected Jesus walked out of that tomb. And he appeared to Mary first, and then he appeared to the other disciples, including Peter. And for the next month or so, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who had died on the cross but lived again, appeared to many people, encouraging them and giving them instruction. But something had changed for Peter. Even though Jesus was, had resurrected, even though he had seen his resurrected friend and Savior, something had changed. He carried the heaviness and the weight of his betrayal with him wherever he went. How could he lead the church? How could he lead this movement like Jesus asked him to when everyone knew that in the deepest, darkest moment of need, Peter ran and betrayed Jesus? He had lost all credibility and he held himself accountable. In John 21, we discover that only weeks after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter has found his way back to his former life. He's back at the Sea of Galilee fishing, doing what he knows how to do. And Jesus had once told him that he would be fishers, a fisher of men. But in this moment, Peter's guilt and shame weigh heavy on him, and he returns to being a fisher of fish. And one day, in this period of time where Jesus is appearing to people and encouraging them and instructing them, Jesus appears to Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has built a fire on the shore for Peter and John and the other disciples there. And he's invited them to breakfast. And Peter is excited to see Jesus. He says this is only the third time since the resurrection that Jesus has appeared to him. And Jesus, he's excited to see him. But his heart is heavy and he is a little afraid and his shame is heavy on his shoulders. Peter doesn't know it yet, but Jesus has come specifically to the beach this day to help Peter rewrite his story. Let's read it. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The night Jesus was arrested, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. It was the biggest mistake of his life, his greatest failure. And here in this moment, Jesus gives Peter three chances to rewrite the story. Peter, do you love me? The answer is yes. If Peter had led the worst, let the worst mistake of his life define him, then he would have disappeared into a life of obscurity on the Sea of Galilee. But instead, he learned to see himself the way Jesus saw him. And he went on to be one of the most important figures in the building of the first century church. Our church exists today because Peter chose to see himself in a different light. That he isn't his worst day. That he isn't just his biggest mistake. That he isn't just a sinful man who isn't good enough. 
He's a child of God. He's a chosen one. He's loved and he belongs. So many of us let the failures, failures of our past stop us from embracing the good plans that God has for us in our present. We suffer in shame about the way that we've hurt ourselves and the people that we love. We don't allow ourselves to receive the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus offers each one of us freely. What story do you tell about yourself? What label do you wear? What have you done that you just can't seem to move past or forgive yourself? What worst day are you letting define you? Let me tell you something. Jesus has a better way for you. Jesus has a better label for you. Jesus has enough forgiveness in his heart for you. And Peter knows this better than anyone. And later in life, Peter became the sort of person who helped other people see themselves the way God sees them. He wrote in, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, this is what he said. He's talking to people who are struggling with their faith. And he said, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful Light, listen to our guy, Peter, calling out the truth that he sees in other people. And it is true. You are a chosen people. You are God's holy possession, royal priests in the kingdom of God. And he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It might be time to rewrite the story that you tell about yourself. I'm going to invite the worship team back up now, and we're going to close this morning with communion worship. But before I do, there's two things I want to invite you to take part in. This morning, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, today's your day. You have a chance to invite him to rewrite your story, to invite him to change you from the inside out, to bring you out of darkness and into his glorious light. And if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to make that decision, it's as simple as deciding to follow him in your heart. But over here on the side of the stage, we're going to have a prayer team, and they would love to help you put into words, to craft a prayer about choosing to decide to follow Jesus for the first time. So if that's you, please don't leave here today without talking to the prayer team. They would love to help you with that. And for all of us today, we're going to close with communion worship. We're going to share a meal today by which Jesus told us to remember him by. Jesus has promised to meet us at the communion table. And for each of us, it is a place where we can receive the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, fresh and new, every time. And lastly, as we were worshiping this morning, I believe God put something on my heart. It's a little weird. I saw somebody in this room. I don't know who it is. There wasn't a face.
I don't know who you are this morning. Jesus wants you to know that you belong. That you belong. That's all I got. If that's for you, receive it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your love and affection for us. That you care for us, care for us so deeply. And that you see us when we struggle, and that you see us on our worst days, and you see us in the days of our worst decisions, our days of our biggest failures. And you invite us to move past them. And you invite us to redeem them. And you invite us to receive your forgiveness. Jesus, this morning, for each of us here, as we approach the communion table, as we pick up the bread and the juice representing your body broken for us and your promise to receive us, we pick up the bread and the juice and let us put down the story we tell about ourselves. Let us put down the shame. Let us put down the memories that we can't seem to shake, the labels that are not true of us. Jesus, we invite your redeeming grace into this moment. We invite your unconditional love into this moment. In the Spirit of God, would you fill every heart in the room with the truth of your word that we are chosen, that we are your special possession that we are heirs in the kingdom of God, that we belong. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.